Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's that time. Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. And today is Wednesday, which means you, the listener, the reader, the Duck fan, you kind of dictate, you kind of drive this ship uh, where we go. It's Mailbag Wednesday. Uh, we answer your best questions that we get throughout the week uh, on the podcast. And I have to say, before we go into the show, uh more and more people are listening, and it's it's evident on uh, a that just the data that we're getting of of how many people are listening, but it's even more clear of how many times we get asked when is the podcast going up after a, after a football game, or when's the Monday podcast going up, or people are just sending us now questions for the mailbag Wednesday without Eric having to go out and uh, ask for questions to be submitted and. That's awesome. That that tells us that you guys are enjoying this. Uh, you're looking forward to this, and that that makes it worth it. And we really appreciate that. Um, and and it, it's kind of a driving factor of just we want to keep doing this even more and more because the, the the data shows that more and more people are listening and more and more people are interacting with with these podcasts. So we appreciate that. Um, also, if you are a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com and you have not activated your CBS All Access membership, why? Uh, why have you not done that? It's a free service, a free additional add-on to your subscription to our site. That's a $99 value. It gets you access uh, to all commercial-free subscription service for, for their streaming platform, 10,000-plus TV shows, movies, live sports, the NFL on CBS All Access, so uh, make sure to activate that. There's a post on DuckTerritory.com to do that. And if you haven't subscribed, that in of itself is the reason that you, you know, if you're listening to us because of your Duck football fans, uh, we or basketball or what have you. But we would highly encourage you guys to give us a try. And if you sign up for a membership at DuckTerritory.com, it, it it comes out as you know about ten dollars a month. And for CB, with that, you get CBS All Access, which is a hundred dollar value per year. So you're almost getting, you know, you're almost getting it for free, uh, but by doing, by subscribing to us. So I highly encourage you guys to, to give us a try. Uh, now that I've gotten that out of the way, uh, Eric, Wednesday, uh, no, no game this week. So I, I'm kind of curious where the questions take us. Yeah, well, I'm not that curious because I see the questions in front of me, so I'm aware of where we're going. But I, yeah. I want to, I want to start off by piggybacking off your your comment there and just thanking people from, you know, just for being as involved as they have been, especially, uh, you know, throughout the week. We we do get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of questions. I'm getting more and more direct messages, questions. In fact, a couple of the questions on this show are, are just from direct messages, questions that were, you know, you know, I always post a couple of times on Monday or, or Tuesday. Uh, asking for fans to submit questions, uh, we're starting to get, like like Matt said, kind of like unsolicited, not unsolicited, but we're starting to get questions without being, you know, prompting 
uh, everybody on social media. So keep doing that. If you have any questions, DM me anytime throughout the week. And even if we don't get it on this week's show or next week's show, we can keep that question uh, as a possibility going forward. So yeah, just continue to submit questions. It, it, you know, it kind of fuels this show. Your questions do that. So thanks so much for doing that. So just a, a thank you from me as well. Uh, let's start with the first question though from at sundog80. I hope it doesn't happen, but Cristobal is from Florida. Any chance he takes the job at Florida State? Um, if you've been, I guess with your head under a rock the last couple of days, you might have seen that. <laughs> and a, a former Oregon coach who went to Florida State is no longer employed at Florida State. Willie Taggart, uh, nine and 12 and a little over a, you know, a year and a half at Florida State wasn't cutting it. They've moved on. That opens the job up. Uh, gosh, I would be shocked if that happens. Um, considering the things that Cristobal said, not just at his introductory press conference when he kind of addressed the possibility of jumping to another job, um, but, but also just the things he says on a weekly basis. It seems really clear he's happy and he's, he, he's happy with what he's building here and, and he can see the progress that's taking place. So to me, it would be shocking if he's, if he really even considers the job seriously, but Matt, I, I guess, are you concerned? He's already at kind all? of turned down Miami, which is. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, I mean, what's your take on this? I mean, I I would be – I was kind of shocked when – middle of the season last year when when it became evident that Jimbo was leaving Florida State, uh, I was like, oh, well, maybe Taggart has any interest in that. And a couple of weeks later, we'd, we'd heard, that, yeah, there's probably going to be interest from Taggart. And that – you know, I wasn't surprised that he was interested. I was surprised that he was ready to leave so quickly. Um but ultimately, when when that job opened up at the you know when it physically opened, I was not surprised because of everything we had heard you know the buildup. But you know the original reaction was, "Wow, he's going to leave that quickly." Uh, I would be more shocked if Cristobal left. You know he loves it here. Uh, he's entrenched himself into this program. He's devoted you know multiple years now, and and it, it I guess in a way it, it's harder to leave the longer you're here, right? Because you build friendships. You, your kids, you know, you know, lock themselves into, you know, friendships at, at school and, you know, they're starting to, you know, plant root, you know, plant roots and, and spread out. And, you know, you're seeing all that, those hours of late nights till three, four o'clock in the morning in the HTC building, you know, of going over film and preparing and scheming in the month of May and June pay off now in the month of November and you're in the college football hunt for the playoffs and uh it, it would it I I don't know I just I just don't see it this doesn't feel uh you know legitimate uh I think Florida State should consider him uh it would make a lot of sense for them to uh but I also wonder what their you know what what their athletic department kind of the backlash they'd get if they went to their boosters and their big boosters and saying hey we're going to try and hire another Oregon coach like I just don't think that would go well there either so I, I'm I'm not putting really any stock into it. And, and one thing I'll say is, this might be slightly unfair, but when Taggart was here, there was a different feeling, you know, in terms of communicating with him. In terms of he, I don't want to say it felt like he might leave, but it it, it felt like it, he wasn't necessarily necessarily long for the job here. Everything Cristobal has said, and just kind of the person he's represented himself to be, I, I would be really surprised if. After two years, especially with the way this season is going and the way the recruiting is going, with the trajectory the program is going, I would I would just be really surprised and honestly disappointed if if he took off. And obviously, 
it's his life. He makes the decisions he makes. I, I just think he's he's made it pretty clear he's you know tying his roots down here. And it, it, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would just I would just be pretty floored if that's the the route he had been going. Shock. But yeah, it would be a huge shock. So um, good question though. Important to talk about. Probably also important to mention how fortunate Oregon was uh, with how that played out with Willie Taggart being you know let go after two years at Florida State to have a, a coach that Taggart brought to Oregon become, you know, be promoted to Oregon's head coach and to lead Oregon to where they are now. I think if you're an Oregon fan, obviously you're, you're ecstatic with the way that whole situation played out. I think there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, about two years ago about kind of, wow, he's Taggart's leaving. We're promoting a coach who was 27 and 47, you know, in a handful of years at Florida International. Like, what, is this really the right move? I think you have to be thrilled with the coach that, Spurns you did not work out at Florida State, probably a sign he wouldn't have worked out all that well at Oregon. And the coach that you ended up with is the coach that Mario Cristobal is. So uh, that's kind of where we'll end that question. But I think it's a good point to, to start the show, just acknowledging the fact that, yeah, first, A, Willie Taggart's no longer at Florida State, if that's news to you. And B, uh, Mario Cristobal may be somebody that is mentioned in the conversation, but I think both Matt and I are, would be skeptical of, of him taking that job long term. So he's already He's already been linked by... I think Yahoo Sports mm-hmm. threw his name in there, but I read it and it was so outlandish of the reasoning of like dream job. I'm like, he went to Miami. Like he's from Miami. He he was he grew up in that area. Like he is a Miami hurricane. You know, like a, 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 you know from if you're gonna look at the Florida schools, he's a hurricane. He's not a knoll. And so, you know, when I, when I read that, I completely threw out that notion because it was just so outlandish. But he's tech by, by definition, a national media outlet has already linked him to the job. But he's not even on our list of our, of, of the top 10 coaches to consider for the hot board for our floor state site, which is extremely dialed in on, uh, all things Florida state. And that tells me enough to know that it's, it's not going to happen. All right, question two from at Matt Sitcher. How great is the emergence of Jawan Johnson? Does this help with the loss of Breland? Uh, yeah, absolutely it does. Um, uh, Oregon had question marks in the passing game, you know, not too long ago because Jacob Breland was, frankly, their, you know, he was Justin Herbert's favorite target. He was playing at such a high level. Um, and, and I'm, it's still tough that he's not available for this team. I think they're still missing him. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Spencer Webb is filled in here and, and did a pretty nice job at times, but he's still not what Jacob Breland was in terms of being the overall tight end and even being what Jacob Breland was in the passing game. I don't think he's all that close to that, but you, you Oregon needed players at receiver to step up and Juwan Johnson has gone from somebody who didn't really make any plays, obviously, the first half of the season because he was injured for part of it, and then really wasn't much of a factor in his first couple of games back because I think he was still kind of rehabbing and still getting fully healthy. And we're now starting to see him, I think, pretty close to 100%. And, yeah, he's a huge difference maker. We talked about that on on Monday's show as well, just the significance of, of, of him. And I, I agree with what Matt said on Monday of just in terms of Oregon – and their success down the stretch in these last three games and then in the Pac-12 championship game and then any postseason game after that, um, I think he's near the top of guys that are, are most integral to that success because they need players at wide receiver and they need players for Justin Herbert to throw to. And it's not that there's not a lot of options. I actually think that the receiving core this year is significantly better than 
it was a year ago, just top to bottom. You know, I'm not sure Juwan Johnson is Dylan Mitchell in terms of the production. You know, I, Dylan Mitchell had a, statistically at least the best, you know, individual season in program history last year. But, uh, you have to be really excited with what you're seeing with the variety of things he's able to do with just the matchup problems he provides. I mean, having a guy at 6'4", 230 on the outside is kind of, a, has been a rarity for Oregon and, and outside of some of these powerhouse programs in the South, you just don't see a lot of guys with that size w- with his skill set. So absolutely he's been a, a massive help in kind of working through the loss to Breland. And I think you have to be encouraged with maybe he takes it, maybe, maybe what he saw it against USC is something that he just continues to build off of. And he has a historically great final handful of games here at Oregon. And that sets up Oregon to win out and possibly win a Rose Bowl or a college football playoff game or, or whatever that is. I, I just think you have to be really excited with, with what you're seeing there because it, about a month ago we weren't sure if, if what player we were getting and now we're seeing uh, kind of what the expectation and, and uh, the potential is from Jawan Johnson. Yeah, you're right that you know, Oregon's still kind of calibrating themselves uh, after the loss of Breland because he hasn't played in the last three games and yet he still leads the team in, re- in receiving yards with 405 He's now third on the team in receptions with 26. And honestly, you know, there's Webb has 14. He's the next closest guy. So he's 12 away. And, you know, Juwan Johnson and Micah Pittman each have 13 catches on the year. And, you know, so there's you know, a good separation from where, you know, Breland is at from the guys below him. He's second on the team in touchdown receptions with six. The only guy higher than that is, is Red with seven. Um, so yeah, they're still adjusting from that, the loss of Breland. And, you know, I, I think Webb has done a good job in that regard. You know, his season totals are 14 catches for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think a lot of his catches are going for first downs or touchdowns. Uh, but as for Jawan Johnson, yeah, he's a game changer. Like I, I, I look at him and see a six foot four, six foot five, 225 pound receiver that, that, almost looks like a tight end, but moves like your traditional receiver. And he's, with all respects to Johnny Johnson and, and Jalen Red and Micah Pittman and Brian Addison and Josh Salgado, you know, those are kind of the, the core group of, of receivers for Oregon outside of Juwan. None of those guys are the the type of player that Juwan Johnson is in terms of a physical attribute. Like, those receivers are all all good, and they've had certainly they've all had their moments this season where it's like, wow, that's a really good play. They're you know those are that's a big time athlete, that's a big time play. But none of them are six foot four and two hundred and thirty pounds and moves you know looks like a tight end and moves like a you know speedy receiver. And sometimes you know like Joe Salavea said earlier this year uh, about football is, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically football is a sport in which big people beat up on little people. And (laughs) Jawan Johnson is a big dude. And we saw him beat up on some little guys and at USC. I mean, we, we saw him just go right across the middle uh, of a defensive back on that slant or skinny post in the first half for the touchdown and uh, a play in which it was like, Whoa, you know, the, the DB had no chance because of Johnson's speed and strength. We saw him, you know, go over the top in the second half to catch the fade route for a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, perfect defense by Chris Steele, but just an unbelievable play because of the sheer size of Jawan Johnson. And then in the fourth quarter, when, when Herbert connected with him on that across the middle pass 
and he literally got separation from the first defender, pulled away from a couple guys, and then just bowled through two or three more USC Trojans into the end zone for a touchdown. That's that's different. We haven't seen that at, at Oregon, and yeah, he his development. If he can, can if he can replicate even just half of what he did at USC, the rest of the you know final three games of the regular season and whatever games they get in the postseason. Uh, or Oregon's offense is going to be significantly better. Next question from at who's the boss? Who will play the Dimitri Birch of 2019 role in playing Khalil Tate on the scout team offense this week? Um, worth mentioning that I think Oregon has to prepare for two quarterbacks. Um, Khalil Tate has had issues with injury, but also just kind of like fitting into what Kevin Sumlin is doing offensively down there. And, and they've actually the last four games – we should mention they lost all four of those games after starting 2-0 in Pac-12 play. Um, they played both uh, Khalil Tate and Grant Gannell, and you look at the stats, and it's pretty clear that Gannell's the better passer. He's This season, nine touchdowns, one pick, and in those four losses, five touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Tate, on the other hand, has been pretty bad in those games. So I think you could see one or both quarterbacks. You're probably going to see, I would imagine, both quarterbacks here. Um, Arizona also on bye this week, so... Uh, they'll probably be figuring out what they want to do at that spot, but it, it is something where they're going to have to prepare for both guys, I would imagine, unless unless they pick one of those guys, and maybe that's what they'll do. But I, I don't know in terms of, like, if Tate is – well, I should say this. He's not the runner this year as he was a couple of years ago, or he has been in the past. He's had a couple of decent rushing games, but for the most part, he's been trying to throw the football a lot. So – um, it's not to say you don't need someone to, to prepare that in the scout team, but it, it's a different vibe with what's going on with him. Yeah, sure he's had his moments. He's had a couple 100-yard rushing games, but he's, he just hasn't been quite as dynamic this year as he has been uh, in the past. Now, in terms of, like, guys on the roster that could do it, there isn't a perfect fit like no, there's Jimmy not. Birch was. And I, and I was looking through the wide receiver depth chart going, like, there's not really a guy here that makes sense totally. Uh, looking at the quarterbacks, there's no quarterback on the roster that really makes sense. Not really anybody at like wide receiver that, or running back even that makes sense. So it, it is going to be something where they're probably going to have to kind of mix and match. Maybe, maybe a guy like, this might be a weird one, but like Devin Williams is probably the best athlete you have available on scout team. Maybe he's somebody that you could have play that role. I don't know if that makes sense in terms of like, I don't think he can pass the ball anywhere near as well as what Birch, who was a high school quarterback, could do, but. Uh, they certainly don't have those same that same kind of a variety of of guys this year in that instance to to kind of prepare for Tate. But I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what what that what kind of works out here because, like I said, it isn't just Khalil Tate this year. It's it's also the the freshman quarterback who Oregon I think recruited. A they had a little bit of interest out. in. Yeah, they had a little interest in him. You know, I, I, you're right that you know Khalil Tate's not playing at a level that or playing style that Oregon faced a couple years ago or even last year really. Uh you know, against Oregon State this past weekend, he just had seven carries for three yards. Uh against Stanford he did, you know, nine carries, 103 yards and a touchdown. And then against USC, you know, nine carries, negative twenty seven yards. He was sacked a bunch. He had a long of four yards in that game. Uh against the Huskies again, a long of eleven, he, he finished with negative twenty eight Yards, sacked a bunch. Uh, Colorado, same deal. Long of seven, ran for 23. Now against Texas Tech earlier in the year when they won at home 28 to 14, this was probably his best game as it, uh, maybe one of his best games. Uh, 
He had 17 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown. You know, week one, he threw for three touchdowns, 361, and ran for 100 against Hawaii in a 45-38 loss. So I, I, I think maybe they look at it and say, hey, like, hey, Khalil Tate's had a lot of success against Oregon on the, on the ground. Let's, let's replicate that this week in particular. But I don't know. I just don't see it. They've, it's been a weird deal for them. You know, they've, I, I, I think they've butchered under, um, Kevin Sumlin's regime. I think they've really butchered the use of Khalil Tate. They've tried to make him, uh, a pro style quarterback when he's clearly not. You know, look at his passing numbers this season. 58%, 7 of 12 for 100 yards against Oregon State. 51.5% for 205 against Stanford. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, against USC, he was just 7 of 11 for 51 yards, and he was sacked six times. Uh, against the Huskies, he was 13 of 25, 52% touchdown and interception. You know, he's, he's not, he's not a good passing quarterback, a pocket passer. Now, Grant Gunnell, the freshman quarterback, he has been pretty good, and he's starting to play a little bit more and more. Uh, his last five games have been pretty impressive. He threw for 352 and a touchdown and a win. Uh, against Arizona. Uh, he also had, he was 16 of 26 for 196 and, and two touchdowns uh, at USC in a blowout loss. And then two weeks ago in Stanford, uh, he was a perfect seven for seven and a touchdown for 68 yards in a, in a blowout loss. And then last week against Oregon State, he played a majority of the game and was 19 of 29 for 269 and two touchdowns and was sacked just twice at a quarterback rating of 166. So, you know, I, I I think there's probably a better chance that Oregon sees more of Grant Gunnell than Khalil Tate. And honestly, like, if I'm Arizona, I mean, they're playing for a bowl eligibility still. They're four and five, and they've still got three games left to go on the schedule. But it's brutal. It's at Oregon, it's against Utah, and it's at Arizona State. And... I just, I don't know, maybe if this game gets out of hand early, and that's maybe a key for this game early on, is get up on on Arizona by two or three scores in the first quarter or early part of the second. And and maybe Arizona just kind of packs it in and says, well, it's not going to be this week. Let's get Grant Gunnell in there and, and kind of go the youth movement and, and prepare for next season. So uh, I I don't think Khalil Tate's going to be the difference in this football game. Uh, long long Long-winded answer, but that's how we go. Yeah, I just uh, one kind of final thought on Tate. I I feel really bad for the way his career has kind of progressed. That sophomore year, if people don't remember, he ran for like amazing thirteen hundred yards, and he didn't even start the first three games. Um, and, and you know, since then, it's just hasn't the the, the change in coaching there. It, it just it doesn't seem like it's the right fit, and, and you feel bad because I kind of feel like they've wasted. But really, a, a ta- you know, a supreme talent and, and a guy who was just carving up the conference as a sophomore not that long ago. And again, like like you said, they kind of forced him to try to be a pocket passer, and he's not terrible there. I mean, like last year he had 26 touchdowns, eight picks. That's not awful. Um, this year, 12 touchdowns, eight picks. His, his QB rating is, is is okay. It's about 150 both years. Um, but like we all know what he does best, and it's run the football. So it, it, it's weird. It's weird that that hasn't really come together. Um, I, I kind of almost feel bad for them. He's going to end his career with basically a freshman quarterback that fits the offense better at Arizona taking his job or at least splitting his job with him. And that's the way he's going to go out because it wasn't that long ago. 
I mean, after the 2017 season, he entered 2018 as like a legitimate Heisman Trophy guy. Like people were talking about him. Like he could be somebody that could, that could really contend for that award and maybe Arizona would take a next step and, and that hasn't come together. So it, it's sort of a bummer, uh, just because of what 2017 was like for him. But yeah, I, I agree with kind of all of what we just said there in terms of, I, I wouldn't expect that this is going to be a, a game where he's the difference maker and, and maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe he'll have kind of one last great game before uh, graduation, but I don't expect it to be against Oregon in a couple weeks. All right, fourth question from at jnelso137. On Fox's pregame show, Urban Meyer reported USC was going to sell out the stop the run and make Herbert beat them. It was evident that Oregon adjusted. How would you rate Arroyo in in-game adjustments this year? Seems less stubborn than last year. I, I just want to start by saying I think he deserves a ton. Arroyo deserves a ton of, a cr- of credit. Uh, you know, uh, he. I don't know. I don't know if we've given him enough credit since. No. They they kind of turned it around because. Fair or unfair, he took a, a ton of crap the first five or six games of the season. And that, that even includes a game where Oregon scored like 77 points against Nevada. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, there, but there was, there was, a, there was genuine, like people were calling for his job four games into the season. And then they go out and they struggle against Stanford and Cal and people, you know, it kind of heats up a little bit more. And Oregon has gone out the last couple of games here, three games, four games and put up 45 and put up uh, you know, 35 and 37, uh, and then 56. And, you know, there's been a couple defensive and special team touchdowns mixed in there, but like most of that's been the offense running the show. Uh, and, and so I, I think you have to be really happy with the development there. I think you have to be, you know, if you were honestly, if you were trashing him early on in the season, you should be praising him now. If you're being an objective observer of what's gone on, I, you know, uh, and we should mention that we talked about the Juwan Johnson thing. Like they didn't have Juwan Johnson or Micah Pittman for that stretch, right. and I think that has to that has to be considered in terms of those issues early on in the season. Uh, they weren't at full strength, and, and there were issues clearly with something wasn't quite right with the run game either. I mean, that, that was a big thing that that kind of almost gets lost now that we've moved about a month away from that. But the, you know, we were talking the last time Oregon had a bye week, it was like, gosh, they got to figure out a way to run the ball. Um, and and Arroyo deserves a ton of credit for finding solutions there too. So. Uh, in general, like, yeah, I think you have to be really happy with what you've seen from Marcus Arroyo this, you know, kind of since that bye week. I think they've kind of figured some stuff out. In terms of in-game adjustments, like, I can't speak to what was going on in those huddles, but it, it sure did seem like they kind of, especially in that second half, had, had some answers, figured some things out. They ran the ball fairly effectively with Travis Dye and Darren Felix. Uh, they utilized them in the screen game, and then obviously Jawan Johnson was kind of that big play guy. Um, a lot of really positive things, I think, against USC offensively. Obviously, when you score 56 points against a team with that talent, that's that's pretty impressive. And I think you have to give a lot of credit, and I'm tip of the cap to Oregon's offensive coordinator for that production. I, I think it. You're right, and then in everything that we, I've been critical of Arroyo, and I I have I no, am too. I have no issue whatsoever of going out and saying like, look, he's proving me wrong. And he's he's calling good games, and I think he's calling creative games. Uh, the game planning has been terrific. I think the adjustments have been really good. Uh, when Oregon's been in a critical stretch, uh, he he's been nails, and you know putting together really good attacks and schemes and, and everything. And since that that game against California, uh, Oregon's on a tear right now offensively, and and they're doing it. Uh, against some of the better teams in the conference. You know, in the last four games, 
Oregon's averaging 43.5 points per game, 482 yards per game. They've committed just one turnover. They're running the ball for 221.5 yards per game, and they've scored 10 touchdowns uh, on the ground. You know, Oregon's offense is humming right now, absolutely yeah. on fire. The, the numbers that they are putting up are just tremendous. And if you want to look at a four-game stretch of where would 43.5 points land themselves, well, that would be eighth in the country. Eighth. Not in the conference, eighth. And they're they're 15th right now in, in scoring points per game at 38.2. But in the last four games, if, if you would average that out across the entire scope of the season so far, they would be eighth in the country in points per game. And that's exactly what I think what everyone would be wanting from an Oregon football team. What about their yards? If, if, you know, over the last four games, if this was playing out, uh, over the course of the season, you know, they would be fifth, they would be, excuse me, they wouldn't be 15th. They'd even be better than that. Uh, they would be 14th in the country. You know, Oregon right now is 29th. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not, I wouldn't say, you know, their numbers are at an elite level, but the last four, yeah, they're at an elite level. What about, what about their rushing offense of yards per game in the last four games? I said of 221. You know, that, that's 20th in the country. And right now, they are much, much further down the list at 48th nationally. And, you know, they're averaging 184 on the year. They're averaging 221 and a half the past four games. And before that, in the previous five, they were averaging just 161 yards per game on the ground. So, you know, these are games in which, look, obviously Oregon won in blowout fashion against USC, but and they did it again against Colorado as well. Um, but Washington and Washington State were both games where this these were blowouts. These, these were not blowouts. These were close games in which, you know, down to the wire, and it wasn't just Oregon running the ball 50 times and, you know, you know killing the clock and winning games. No, they had to throw. They had to run. And, and they've showed balance. And, you know, they're, av- they're having some of their best rushing performances and their best offensive performances as a whole all season long. One last thought on this. I just, I think it's important also to remember, and we talked about this a little bit from the defensive statistic perspective, kind of really, really good for a portion of the season, kind of changing at a different part. A lot of it's competition based. Like Oregon faced Cal and Stanford, uh, during that stretch where they couldn't really score the ball. And those are two of the best defenses in the conference. And they've since faced some lesser defenses. And the other reality is they face Oregon State and Arizona in these final two of these last three games. Those are games where Oregon's going to score a lot of points. Oregon State is 10th in the conference at 32.4 points per game. I expect Oregon to score more than that average. Arizona is last at 37.3. They allow 37 points per game. That's an unbelievable number. That's terrible. Um, Oregon should be able to score a lot of points against them. Arizona State is fourth in the conference. That's going to be the best defense Oregon faces by far. Um, in this kind of final three-game stretch. And then Utah, who they are expected to play in the conference championship game, is by far the best defense Oregon will face probably all season. Um, and, and they're tops in the conference. They have only allowed, or, uh, sorry, only allowed 12.2 points per game. So I, I do think, just as I said earlier, like we were, you know, the defensive stats maybe got skewed a little bit by facing some bad offenses. I think the offensive stats got skewed a little bit by facing some really good defenses. And now that they've kind of faced some of the 
middle tier back end of the conference defenses, which is kind of what Washington's fifth defensively, so they're kind of in the top half, but USC's seventh, Washington State's eighth, Colorado's eleventh. Those are teams Oregon had a, a ton of success offensively against. And, and again, with with a couple of games here at the end against Oregon State and Arizona, I think you're going to see more and more big games for this offense. All right, let's take a quick break, uh, and we will come back and continue answering your questions here on the Mailbag Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. Uh, Mailbag Wednesday, which means we're answering your questions. Uh, I think we got a couple more. Uh, take it away. Next question comes from at Urban Slaughter One. How has the victory in LA helped with us recruiting? Or if it hasn't yet, how might it help us? I'll turn that over to you, Matt. Yeah, well, there were there were like 24 prospects inside the Coliseum. Uh, on the sideline in perfect view of the football game uh, that were there for visits to see USC that Oregon has offered and that are somewhat, you know, some various, to, you know, varying degrees considering Oregon. And make no mistake about it, they saw everything that, that played out on, on that football game. Um, you know, and that, that in of itself is huge. Now, Oregon's coaches – they have remained, uh, some of them have remained in Los Angeles, uh, depending on when you listen to this podcast, they may have left town. Um, some may be coming back later on in the week for high school football games on Friday nights. Um, but originally the plan was, is that Oregon would keep a couple coaches, uh, in, in the, in the LA area after this game was over and recruit. They've got a ton of guys in the area that are A, currently committed to Oregon either in the 2020 recruiting class or the 2021 recruiting class or even further down the list. Uh, and then they've got a, a handful to, you know, a couple dozen guys that are seriously looking at Oregon in a very, very, very hard way. Uh, and Oregon, you know, is, is hanging around and, and going through the high schools, going to football practices, going to high school football games and checking in on these guys. And, you know, I, I think the obvious ones that this helps with is probably – you know, five-star linebacker Justin Flo. Uh, he's going to be up at Oregon for an official visit uh, for the Civil War, uh, November 30th. He was at this football game. He's an inside linebacker. He's the fifth best player in the country. And everyone kind of focuses a lot on Noah Sewell because of the Panay Sewell Noah Sewell brother connection at Oregon. And Sewell's all you know. Noah is also a five-star recruit inside linebacker. But you know, Justin Flo is is serious about Oregon. I, I don't know if 
it's it's probably not fair to say that Oregon's the top school. I probably would go to Clemson. Um, but if you were to stay home on the West Coast, you know, right now Oregon is a very appealing option to him and is the school that would make the most sense if he was going to stay home on the West Coast and play football. It would be probably at Oregon. And he's – look, there's no other way to sugarcoat this. He's the fifth best player in, in the country. Like that, that is massive. And seeing how Oregon's defense played, the, you know, and, and what they were able to do against the Trojans was was just huge. And then Gary Bryant Jr., a receiver uh, from LA area, he was at Oregon a couple weeks ago for the Washington State game, and then he was down at USC for an unofficial visit this past weekend. And you know, Oregon's really looking at at him and you know he's he, he likes the ducks and the opportunities he would have to play in the Oregon offense and seeing kind of what that group did is is, is pretty spectacular pretty good pretty good company for the ducks there um and then if you if you want to go down the list a little bit um in terms of guys in future years in 2021 or 2022 you know the number one player in the country Corey Foreman for the 2021 recruiting class was there a strong side defensive end from Centennial High School in Corona, California. The Ducks were already a big player there, but seeing how the defense got after it, seeing how Kayvon Thibodeau, a true freshman Oregon player for the defensive line from the L.A. area, who was also a number one caliber recruit, that stuff registers. That stuff tri- you know, clicks for recruits. And uh, while there isn't necessarily a, a commitment that has happened, um, it certainly has already made – in roads with a lot of guys. I mean, there were a lot of recruits there, a lot of families there of the recruits and a lot of families that and recruits that, that knew guys on the Oregon team and knew the families of, of Oregon players in the stands. And, 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 you know, you can, you can guarantee it. They bumped into each other and, you know, in the stands and whatnot. And, you know, after the game was over, you know, the, the, the parents and whatnot are, are, are mingling and yeah, that that's all that stuff matters. And, uh, it, while there's not necessarily a definitive, like, hey, this guy committed because he was at Oregon, USC, uh, there are certainly a ton of inroads that are happening right now for Oregon down in the L.A. area. And you know, the, the, as, the, as the kids say, the flock is hot right now. I like it. The flock is hot. All right. On number six, at one time 86, if Oregon were to sneak into the playoff, which team do you think would be the best stylistic matchup for them to face to get a potential upset? I think that's a good question, considering the reality is that Oregon is really in the discussion. Like we said earlier, a couple times earlier this week, they, they, they belong to be there. Um, they've proven they should be there. And Cristobal said as much. You know, they, they deserve to be in the conversation right now. Um, so good question here. And, and it's interesting kind of looking at these contenders. Like, unsurprisingly, they're pretty much all really good teams. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, they're all pretty darn balanced. I was looking at just comparing where these teams uh, rank nationally in offense and defense in terms of just, just scoring is just kind of a baseline. Ohio State's third offensively, first defensively. Alabama is second offensively, ninth defensively. LSU's fourth and 22nd. Clemson's sixth and sixth. Penn State, 12th offensively, second defensively. Oklahoma, first offensively, 41st defensively. Georgia, 31st offensively, fourth defensively. Oregon, for perspective, is 15th offensively, 10th defensively. So, just to put things into perspective there, these are all really, really good teams. And I don't think that surprises anybody because that's why these teams are in these positions. And these are these are the cream of the crop here. Um, if, if I'm being honest, though, I'd just like to see, and maybe this isn't the right fit, but I, I just want to see Oregon play Alabama really bad. 
uh, for a ton of reasons in terms of just the narrative stories of like, Mario Cristobal coached at Alabama for a while. There's that. There's a Oregon and Alabama where it kind of everybody wanted to see that matchup in the mid 2000s. That was what everybody was hoping would happen. And we thought it might happen with Marcus Mariota in 14, but the, the seeding didn't play out that way. And then Alabama didn't take care of business in their game. Oregon played Ohio State in the championship game. I think an opportunity to play Alabama. You want to play the best. There's also the, there's also the Tua was a consideration to go to Oregon, you know, a high consideration. That's another interesting storyline. Um, there are obviously Dallas Warmack played at Alabama. There, there's just a lot of kind of, uh, things that come together. I think the other one that would be interesting from a narrative perspective as well is, is Ohio State. Uh, because Oregon obviously plays play them next year. Next year, so it would be like you're playing them two times, uh, you know, potentially uh, in a calendar season, so or in a calendar year. So that one could be interesting. Um, Penn State also has narratives with the Jawan Johnson thing. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of tie-ins here, and I think that's what happens oftentimes with these elite programs. But I, I, my answer would still be like maybe it's not the best stylistic matchup to pull the upset, but I still think if like you're Oregon, you want Bama, and, and I don't think that should change. Oh no! You just said you want Bama. Oh no! I said I said it just because it's what all the kids were saying five years ago, Matt. They all wanted Bama, and they didn't get them. And now it's an opportunity. Five years later, I don't think anybody necessarily thought Oregon would be back to where they are so quickly. Alabama's obviously remained where they were, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. But I think an opportunity to, to face Bama at some point, uh, pretty would be pretty cool. I'm gonna give a hat tip to um, our friend and colleague Tyson Alger. Of the athletic on this one. Um, I don't care who Oregon plays. I just want them to get to the playoff because I was on the fence of Rosewell would be better, but talking with Alger about it one day, um, he's changed my tune in that this is why, because go back to 2014 and I remember covering that team when Oregon beat Arizona in the conference championship game. Uh, they secured their spot in the college football playoff two days later. And it helps that Marcus Mariota also got invited to the Heisman camp, you know, to Heisman ceremony that, that year as well and that ended up winning it. But for basically four weeks, three weeks, every national media outlet was in Eugene at some point and oftentimes multiple times and on ESPN, on CBS Sports, uh, whatever other avenue you have of, of watching the discussion of college football, the Ducks were a major talking point. And the fact that for three or four weeks leading up to the game, every day, there was someone on a national level, and oftentimes three or four people or three or four different situations, talking about the Ducks. And that type of attention, especially now when signing day is in the middle of all of this, that is huge from a marketing standpoint, from an awareness standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, all that attention that's going to come your way, whether you get blasted or not, you still get the three to four week buildup of all this attention and all of this focus on your football program. And then on top of that, Oregon would be able to go out and say like, hey, we are one of a few schools to, to have made the college football playoff more than once. And in recruiting circles right now, you know, Oregon can go, well, we made the playoff. You should come to Oregon. Well, Washington, 
can go back and say, well, so did we, and we've done it sooner than they have. If Oregon makes it again, they would go into the into the conference and they would have a, 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 a an IOU note on every school in the Pac-12 because they could go out and say, we've not only made the conference the college football playoff once, we've done it twice, and we've done it with two different coaches that have two different styles of play. Oh, sure. and by the way, we're also the most recent school to make the college football playoff. So who cares? I, I've completely changed my tune. Who cares if you get blasted by 50 points in the college football playoff? Or maybe, and I'm, and maybe they could beat a team. You know, I think there's a couple teams yeah. out there that are also in the discussion, you know, that, that Oregon could compete with. And maybe they do win a game and get, you know, and get further. It's, you know, regardless, it's a, it's a four, four team playoff, winner take all. And at that point in the year, craziness can happen. And who knows? All it takes is just one chance. You might not beat Alabama eight times if you played ten. Or nine times if you played ten times, but all it takes is that one chance, and it, it could be that one game, and and, and you win, you're even more elated. But if you lose, and who cares how you lose, you still get all that lead up, all that build up, all that hype, all that attention, all that focus on your program, and that's invaluable. You 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 can't get that anywhere else. All I heard is Matt also wants Bama, so uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, good points, and, and I, I agree with just. You're totally right, and and I was not covering the team in in that 14 season, and so I, I didn't see all of the publicity. But as somebody who was reading the stories and seeing it all, and and obviously was also following the team, you know, in the previous round of the championship game, that, that's a great point in terms of there is so much more attention placed upon teams that are in that situation. Just not even not even in talking about like what's on the television screen, but in terms of what's on the web, you know, on, on the right. web, what's, what's a newspaper, it, it's kind of invaluable. And so I think that's a really, a really good point. So um, kudos to Tyson for, for, I guess, convincing Matt that the Rose Bowl isn't the better option. Um, <laughs> question seven from at March Madness 83, compare and contrast the two November 2007 Arizona games with the two upcoming Arizona games. QB injury aside, seems like fans are discounting the amount of game pressure the Ducks will face in Tempe this year. I think that's a good point. Um, back in 2007, Oregon was in position to play for a national championship, probably, if they would have, you know, taken care of business down the road. Uh, and Oregon played in consecutive games at or Arizona State at home on November 3rd. They then had a bye week, and then they, ho- they went to Arizona. And... Uh, there was an injury to a quarterback back then, Dennis Dixon. I know Oregon fans who've been fans for 10-plus years are very familiar with this situation. But it was a thing where, yeah, Oregon was thought to be kind of dialed in to making an appearance in a championship game. Dennis Dixon gets hurt. They beat Arizona State even with that injury. He re-injures his injury, if you will, or he just can't play anymore against Arizona, and they end up losing their final three games, and it goes from – Kind of being one of the best seasons in program history to being kind of one of the biggest what ifs and devastating seasons because they go from probably playing a national championship game to playing in a Sun Bowl uh, with like a third and fourth string quarterback and they, you know, after having an awesome offense all season, they they can't score a single point against UCLA. They lose to Oregon State, who was not a team that at any point in the season people thought was capable of doing that. So uh, interesting parallels, but I, I will say that I I just think the big difference here is like Justin Herbert's healthy right now, right and I think if Oregon had Dennis Dixon down the stretch of that season, they probably would have taken care of business, or they at least would have won more than zero games in that stretch. Um, it is a good point, and it's a point that we brought up, I think, and Matt, again, 
before the season, credit to him. He, he had Oregon basically at the same spot, but losing to Arizona State in a couple of weeks. Um, that game, even though Oregon is better and Arizona State's looked pretty crappy recently, that game will be, I think, challenging. I'm not as concerned about this Arizona game coming up to home. Uh, Oregon has a, a lot on the line, obviously. They've got last year's game where they lost 45 or 44 to 15. I think that's going to be in the back of a lot of players' minds, as it should be. Um, and again, Arizona's just not very good. And we should mention that that, well, Arizona wasn't very good in 2007 either. They were, I think, four and five coming to that game. And so maybe there's a similarity there, but I, I don't necessarily see the parallels coming back and biting them. But I do think it's a, it's a very good point that games played for whatever reason down in Arizona, whether it's Arizona or Arizona State are always kind of tricky games. Oregon's had a hard time down there, regardless of how good their teams are. Um, and so, yeah, I would say don't sleep on that Arizona State game. At the same time, like, for some reason, deep down, I just feel like this team feels a little different. you agree with that, Matt, or do you kind of share those same kind of concerns? I mean, yeah, I think Arizona State's defense is just different. And we've seen this year when they faced opponents that deploy some different unique style of a defensive scheme, they've struggled a little bit um, right. with that. Now, with that being said, I've also seen Arizona State's offense kind of fall off the the wheels a little bit of how they've played the last few weeks down the stretch of the season. Now that film is getting out on Jaden Daniels and, you know, teams are having a better understanding of how to defend him. Um, so I, I think that also plays into it. And so, I yeah, I originally had said that Arizona State was going to be the game that Oregon would, would lose. That would be the only game all year. Um, I, I don't think they lose now. I think they are the significantly better football team. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, like, if, if that game's decided by 10 or fewer points, you know, it, it's smack dab in the middle of, of a game in which Oregon should be just, I would, I would argue Oregon's probably going to be a 15 to, to, 19 point favorite over Arizona. Uh, and they, they, you know, they will be heavily favored in that game. And then, you know, the week after their Arizona State game, it's a civil war in which, uh, you know, that's a rivalry game in of itself, but it's also going to be a game in, in which that, you know, they're going to be favored by a ton of points in that one as well. And so maybe ASU turns into a little bit of a trap game, but, um, I, I don't see them beating Oregon. Uh, as to parallels of, you know, 2007 and whatnot, well, Oregon's best player's not hurt. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, Oregon went into that game right. with Dennis Dixon. Like, we all knew he was hurt. It was just, please don't be really bad. And it ended up being really bad. Um, so that's, that's the biggest difference right then and there. But this, this team, Eric, it just feels different, right? Like, going into the year, there was the idea of, Oh, what's this team going to be like away from home? You know, when they, when they play at home, they're really, really good. But when when they have to leave the friendly confines of of Oxen Stadium, you know, they they are going to struggle. And then it was kind of well, can they also win the big game? Like, they, you know, they beat Washington the year before that, but Washington State was a big game. They lost that one. Stanford was a big game. They choked that one. Uh, Utah was a big game. They kind of got blasted in that one. Um, you could argue in, in 2017, you know, same thing. You know, they they could not win the big games uh, that year, uh, even in the in the bowl game. They 
distractions and all, fair or not. They could, they, they did not beat a Boise State team. They got kind of blasted, even though the score ended up being close. Um, even this year, week one against Auburn. Well, they played really well, but big game and, you know, typical Oregon. They can't win that one. You know, they've changed the narrative this season on both of those. They are going on the road and they're winning football games. And in the last two years, they have the most wins in comp, in conference play on the road. And that's, that's tremendous. That's an unbelievable improvement for a team that in 2017 against California, uh, won their first game in like three years on the road against a power five school. That's, that's amazing for that staff to be that way as it is. And now they've, they've dispelled the, the idea that they can win the big game because they've, beaten Washington from behind. They've beaten Washington State from behind. And then against USC, while it's technically a, a come-from-behind victory, they absolutely blasted the Trojans uh, on the road in their own stadium and basically gave Clay Helton his you know pink slip and said, hey, thanks. Thanks for coming. You're going to go get a new job in, uh, in about two weeks, three weeks' time. Um, this this team's really changed the, the mental makeup of my, uh, in my mind and they're, they're mentally tougher. They're better. Uh, and I just don't see in the last three games of the regular season any losses playing out. Yeah, I, I think I pay more attention to recent history than, like, you know, a season 12 years ago. I, I think there's certainly you want to learn from history. And I, I, I would imagine Oregon players are aware of that game. But I don't know if that really matters all that much uh, in terms of what's going on. In fact, maybe Oregon players aren't aware. A lot of them would have been like seven or eight years old when when that game was played. So. Um, I think valuable points in terms of just like, yeah, playing in Arizona State, like you have to be aware that that could be a challenge just because games down there almost always have been. But there's something a little different with this team uh, in terms of where they're at mentally, and I think that has to be considered. Last question from at JD High Roller. Is it just me, or does anyone else think we're a Dylan Mitchell away from being 9-0 and in the thick of the playoff top? Kind of ironic that he was waived from Minnesota's roster on August 31st. Um if we're just talking hypotheticals, and you know I like doing that, I think Oregon it would be 9-0 and with Dylan Mitchell right now. I don't think there's much question. I just think they were only a couple of plays against Auburn away from winning that football game. So I think if you put Dylan Mitchell on the team for that one, even if he's on the game on the team for just that one game, that might have been enough to win that game. Probably would be enough. I would say it would have been enough. So um, I think it's a, a decent point in terms of, like, yeah, they, they'd probably be 9-0 and right now. But I also think it's worth saying that, like, I don't necessarily know if this offense needs a Dylan Mitchell right now. And I know that maybe that's a little bit presumptuous. Maybe I'm overlooking his contributions. I think he was a really, really good player. But this offense is playing at a high level, like we were saying. And certainly, they, I guess they, they could use – it wouldn't hurt to have him. But, like, I also don't think you want to be talking about how, like, man, they, they really miss Dylan Mitchell right now. I think at this point in the season, I look at this team and go, like, sure, he'd help. But, like, I don't necessarily think – like. I'll put it this way, like I'd probably rather have uh, a running back who can play all four quarters more consistently, which is something we've seen with C.J. Verdell through the last five weeks. He hasn't been able to play in the second half. I, I think that would be almost more valuable than a Dylan Mitchell just because we've seen Jawan Johnson emerge. We've seen Jalen Red be really, really a steady factor. Johnny Johnson continues to be a factor. Michael Pittman's been kind of a big play guy. So I think play at receiver, to me, is not the problem. But in terms of just being a nine and zero right now, sure. If you had Dylan Mitchell on the on the on the roster uh, in in Dallas, you know, in, in August, uh, you probably would be unbeaten right now. Yeah, I, I I look at this and think, I mean, if they had Jawan Johnson week one, 
against exactly. Dallas. Exactly. Yeah. Like just just one better just one better wide receiver. Yeah. Like that that game, and even and I'll even go a step further. Like even without Juwan Johnson, they still should have won. Yes. Yes. You know, I I think they play right now, and Oregon wins going away. I think Oregon wins multiple times going away. It, it might not be a blowout, but it it would be a two score win in my mind if these two teams played each other again. Um, I mean, think of all the mistakes that Oregon made. They had the punt return from from Javon Holland inside the ten yard line, and then the very first play, fumble on the exchange between Justin Herbert and C.J. Verdell. Which, by the way, all year we've wanted to talk about running the quarterback. That was a play that Herbert was trying to run the ball, and if he if that fumble doesn't happen, he probably scores uh, on that play. That play results in you know at least three points t- knocked off. We had Camden Lewis touchdown or field goal that was a chip shot that goes off the board. Brian Addison dropped uh, a touchdown pass in the first quarter that would have put Oregon up fourteen nothing. Um, and so there are point there were a ton of points on the, on that on that field left on the field for Oregon. And so I, maybe they don't even need a Dylan Mitchell. Maybe they don't even need a Jawan Johnson. I mean they, they're the better team right now in my mind. Um, watching that team play football, you know, Bo Nix has not progressed at all since he's played Oregon, and Oregon's offense has significantly gotten better, and their defense is just as good. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it would have been awesome to have. Uh, it would be really awesome to see what, you know, a guy like Mitchell paired with a Jawan Johnson could do uh, in another year with Justin Herbert. But at the same time, like, Jalen Reds had a really good year in the slot. And Johnny Johnson has, has kind of stepped up and performed at a, at a good level. And, you know, while I, I, I think Oregon relied on Mitchell a ton last year, and it was just decidedly so because so many of the players at the receiver position struggled last season. He was kind of the only reliable guy. Without him this season, a ton of other guys have emerged. And it's going to benefit the program long-term next year when, you know, Herbert's gone because – I mean, Jalen Red's going to return next year as a senior as one of the conference's top, you know, touchdown producers in the league and a guy that will probably get some kind of consideration for all league at some level, whether that's honorable mention, first or second team. And then you've got Micah Pittman and his development, Brian Addison and his development. You know, Jacob Rund has gone down and that's hurt and that's been awful, but it's also kind of sped up the, the development of a Spencer Webb into the point where next year, He's now not going to be like, oh well, they're you know new starter at tight end Jacob and Spencer Webb, and we'll really have to see how how he he handles things. Like, I don't think there's going to be any concern with Spencer Webb next season at tight end, or if it's Cam McCormick if he comes back and healthy. But so like, I I see the the hypothetical, but I, I mean I think this team's just going off just fine without him. Yep, I think we're on the same page there. Sure, you, 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 and, and I'll simplify it here one more, one, one last time. Just that Auburn game. If if maybe Dylan Mitchell just has to play one play and he plays the, the, the same route that Brian Addison runs and catches the touchdown in the back of the end zone, Oregon probably wins that game. Um, again, a, a lot of things in retrospect could have gone differently in that game, and, and probably honestly a player or two there. And, and Oregon is undefeated right now, and, and the conversation is completely different. All right, I think that's going to do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, really fun show today. We went a little bit long because, hey, there's no game to prepare for us. So we could we could answer some more extra questions. Um, really appreciate you guys 
sending the zine, sending these in. Continue to send them in to Eric. Uh, he is continuing to build a list up, and I can tell you right now, the list is getting bigger and bigger each week, which is awesome. Our pool of questions is growing, which is great. It makes for you know really good content for you to listen to. Uh, it's good for us. It helps us. Uh, and on top of that, we just really enjoy it. So uh, stick with us throughout the year. Uh, and real last one minor detail here still, uh, or remind you at the beginning, I'll remind you at the end. If you haven't activated your CBS All Access and you're, you are a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you're wasting money. You're throwing money away. Do it. We have a, we have a story on the site, front page, 10 reasons why you should subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. In that story, there's a link to activate your account. Do that now. Get access to over 10,000 shows, movies, uh, live sports, commercial-free streaming platform. Everyone's gone streaming. I've done it. Eric is streaming as well. Uh, we both have access to this. It's an awesome uh, perk of your VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com. It's no extra cost, zero. You subscribe to us, you get this for free, whether you're a a month-to-month subscriber or an annual. There's no difference. Even when you try our, our seven-day free trial, uh, you get access immediately to CBS All Access. So if you're on the fence and you want to you know, read our VIP stuff or you want to support our coverage of like sending us down to USC uh, for that football game, uh, subscribing to us is, is the number one way to do that. And by doing that, you also get the $99 value of uh, CBS All Access on top of the value that you get through us. So uh, I've done that. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.